Good morning. Welcome to all of you in this auditorium this morning, those watching online as well. If you've been with us for some weeks, that video introduced the gathering. I think this is the sixth week, but the last two weeks in particular, one chapter, we were in chapter 12, talking about the spiritual gifts, or at least as they're talked about in this letter. And we're going to finish at least that part of the discussion this morning in chapter 14. So if you have a copy of the Bible, that's where we're headed in just a minute. Next week, we will actually go back to finish this series to chapter 13. So we're skipping a chapter Y. And let me say something about chapter 13. Perhaps the most well-known chapter in this letter, perhaps one of the most well-known passages in the New Testament. If you know, I've been to a uh, wedding, among other things, where the great love chapter is uh, talked about. First Corinthians chapter 13. I, uh, if, if I do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a, a clanging cymbal. It talks about love, but the reason I'm putting that last is because in a way, if you read these chapters together, they're all in a sense talking about the spiritual gifts, but chapter 13 is talking about the application of the gifts. In other words, if they're not done out of love, if they're not done out of maturity, right? Paul says at the end of that chapter, if I was, you know, when I was a child, I did one thing, but when I became an adult, I put childish things away. That's his way of saying, listen, I grew up, I matured, and then I understood that the ultimate motivation for the, all of the gifts is love. So we're going to save that for next week. But the second reason I'm going to do that, save it for next week and go from 12 to 14, is it's a nice um, bridge. They, they go together. At the very end of chapter 12, we looked at it last week, the very last verse says, Now eagerly, he's talking to this congregation, desire the um, greater gifts eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then in chapter 14, he uses almost that same language to talk about two of the quote-unquote greater gifts or the more sought-after gifts in this congregation, which was tongues and prophecy. So they actually do kind of go together quite nicely, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Now, I will say this as a quick introduction. The whole chapter, we're not going to read the whole chapter, is a, he's talking about kind of an internal conflict that was happening in this congregation about these two gifts, prophecy and tongues. The first half, he's going to compare their, some comparative value, which one's more important in his mind. In the second um, half of the chapter, he'll talk about guidelines for using these gifts. We're not going to read this whole chapter, but I'll do my best in a few minutes that we have. So, Tongues and Prophecy, chapter 14 of the first letter, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Follow along as I read just these first five verses to begin. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church might be edified. So he's doing a little comparative, um, uh, a little comparison here. 
And he's going in this opening paragraph, but really if you read the whole chapter carefully, I would encourage you to do that. He's going to elevate prophecy, and he's what he's going to say, I think. And I want to say as I start this message that prophecy, as we'll define it in a second, is everybody's gift. Okay? Does everyone have it in the same level? No. And, but according to this passage, I wish that everyone would uh, prophesy. Um, I wish that you all would prophesy. So there is a sense, and I'll define it in a second, that prophecy is everyone's gift. Now, let me say something quickly about tongues. Okay? He's sort of He's not dismissing tongues as being illegitimate, but he's, he's talking about them using it in ways that are, let's say, inappropriate without an interpreter. But let me just say something very quick. This is tongues in a, in a um, nutshell here. There are five or no, six mentions of tongues or sometimes the gift of tongues in the New Testament. Mark chapter 16, just one very brief mention at the end of Mark's gospel. Three in the book of Acts, that's where most of it comes from. And then two in 1 Corinthians. A brief mention in chapter 12, just the word in a list. And then more um, clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's the whole thing. In the book of Acts, where a lot of uh, discussion comes from, where the greatest, let's say, description of the tongues gift or something miraculous with tongues happens. It's at the dawn of the church. Many of you know this passage. Acts chapter 2, the, the Jewish community, right? Jesus rose from the dead, but the Jewish community had been, been going on for a thousand years. They gather three times a year for special religious festivals, Pentecost, you know, the, the first fruits, and then the ingathering, otherwise known as Pentecost. And God chose in his providence to launch the church after the resurrection, 50 days after, if you do the math, all these Jews come from all over the Roman Empire. They, they, they converge on Jerusalem, which they've done every year. But this year, the ingathering, talking about the harvest, in this moment, God uses this to launch the church, the descent of the Holy Spirit. And the descent of the Holy Spirit in a uniform way that launches the church, Acts chapter 2, it says it appears as tongues of fire over the heads of the, of the early church, 120 people, if you look at Acts chapter 1. This is what happens. So we don't know what it actually is. It's, it's some kind of representation of the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire. But what happens in just a few verses is all of a sudden these people Right, you know, James and John and Mary Magdalene and unnamed people, the 120 church, they're there in Pentecost. There's all kinds of people that have come together for this natural reason of, of this Jewish festival coming in from all over the Roman Empire. 15 ge uh, geographies or countries are named just in Acts chapter 2. So you can take a look at it yourself. All of a sudden, these people start speaking the wonders of God, speaking the gospel. Jesus died and rose from the dead, and they're doing it in tongues of not... Um, in unintelligible language, but in Egyptian, in Aramaic, you have to look at all the languages mentioned in Acts chapter 2. They start miraculously speaking. It's a miracle because, of course, God is showing not only that he's doing something, not only that the Spirit is descending, but he wants to use this opportunity in his providence to launch the church who had gathered for this religious festival and then a week later leaves and goes back to all over the Roman Empire having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the tongue's gift in four probably of the seven, five or six times it's used, is this thing that's speaking in another known language. I didn't speak Arabic. I don't speak Egyptian. I don't speak French, but I do today right, in this moment. Okay. Now here, 
the gift of tongues. You have to read the whole chapter, but that's different. Here, it says anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, verse 2, but to God. So the purpose of this gift, whatever it is, it's not some proclamation thing. It's not something that says, I need to get a message to people who don't speak my language. They're not, the purpose of this gift here is not to speak to people. It's to speak to God. And it's speaking mysteries by the Spirit. So it's not only not speaking to people, it's speaking to God. It's, you might say it's a spiritual prayer language of a kind that is done between an individual and God, and it needs an interpreter if it's going to be shared at all. Well, you didn't need an interpreter in Acts chapter 2, right? They just, boom, there was no interpreters involved. I spoke the words, you're a different language, you heard it in your negative tongue. So this is clearly a different gift, and without an interpreter, it's not very helpful. So at the very least, without doing too much deep dive into what this is, you could say this. Is, is, uh, there's two kinds of tongues in the five or six mentions in the New Testament. Chapter 13, verse 1 helps us. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We don't get a whole lot of information. We don't get a lot of data. There's not a lot of press in the Bible, but it seems clear, looking at these six passages, that there's at least two kinds of experiences we might call the gift of tongues. Am I making sense? And one needs an interpreter, one doesn't. One is for people to advance the gospel. One is sort of a spiritual prayer language that is largely done between an individual and God. So what is Paul saying in this passage? Pastor, do you believe in tongues? And on and on and on, if you've been in church a while. Some of you don't know what the heck I'm talking about. But the point is, uh, yes, it's a legitimate gift. It's never said that it isn't a legitimate gift. But this, this is the chapter where it's primarily talked about. This, let's call it, second kind of tongues or the gift of tongues, this spiritual prayer language. Paul is saying it's legitimate. He'll say in a minute that he does it. But they're using it in an illegitimate way, right? They're being chastised in a manner of speaking. What is he, because what they're saying is this, they desired the greater gifts, they desired the more demonstrable gifts. There's no argument in the New Testament about the gift of mercy or the gift of hospitality or the gift of giving as Jason was just talking about or whatever. There's, there's no argument about those things. But these sort of popular, showy, somewhat demonstrative gifts, they were sort of hungering for them. They were using them not to bless other people, but to draw attention to themselves. And Paul's saying that's an illegitimate use of a legitimate gift. Okay, That's really part of what's being said here. Now, to prophecy, because he's going to say, listen, desire the greater gifts. And what I'm saying to you in no uncertain terms, Paul's saying is, listen, yeah, if some of you speak in tongues and do it in a legitimate way, Keep, keep on keeping on, but I would much rather all of you, all of you prophesy, verse 5. What is prophecy? Okay, what is prophecy? Prophecy is, because of its greater utility, because all of the church can be edified, end of verse 5, because it benefits others, is highly prized, especially in the gathering which is what we're talking about in 11 through 14. He's talking, what is, see, we, you and I have been, hit, we, we've been involved in worship service for 2,000 years. I mean, the church has, but it was only a couple years old here. There's not even pastors in this church, if you read this book cover to cover, yet. 
So he's saying, listen, when it comes to the gathering, this spiritual gift of tongues that needs an interpreter, keep it to you. If you don't have an interpreter, don't even do it. Do it at home. But prophecy is very, what, is very, very important because the whole church, verse 5, is edified. Well, what is prophecy? It's, it's, it, 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 it. In the New Testament, okay, it's not predicting something. Sometimes we think prophecy is predicting. You know, the world's going to come to an end. You know, so and so, you know this is going to happen, that's going to happen. You know, it's not predicting something. The Old Testament prophets did do that before there was an Old Testament or even a New Testament. Those people were called prophets and they were doing. They were saying, thus saith the Lord. There wasn't a book to go to, but God says this. Do this, the Ten Commandments. Take a right, take a left. Worship the Lord in this particular way. There was even prophecies of, we'd call them futuristic prophecies. Jesus did that. The the apostles did that. You know, when it talks about the, the day of the Lord. That's there. But once the Bible was complete, okay, prophecy... It's not about predicting things, but proclaiming the truth of God, the works of God, and the gospel. It's, it's, very, it's very simple and straightforward. Verse 3, but the one who prophesies, listen carefully, doesn't say the world's going to come to an end at such and such a time, but the one who prophesies speaks to people, listen carefully, for their strengthening, their encouragement, and for their comfort. That's what prophecy is. In that sense, All people who are Christians, some more gifted than others, not everyone's going to stand in front of people and do what I'm doing this morning necessarily, but all of us have the ability to speak the word of God, to share the word of God, to strengthen the faith of others, to encourage other people, and to comfort them. Watch how the church uses it in this um, congregation. Verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together... This is the church service, the gathering. Each of you has a hymn. See, they didn't have a New Testament to bring yet, okay? Each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, and interpretation. If you don't have the interpretation, don't bring it. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. This is the point, right? Edification. Verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Right, And if the revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. You, for you can all prophesy in turn, right, so that everyone may be instructed and be encouraged. It almost sounds like a small group. There's one person talks, another person talks, then you ought to weigh it out. Well, is, is, is what you're saying line up with, uh, with, the, with the word of God as we know it? Okay, This is what a prophet does. And in that sense, all of us are prophets. Now, very often... This kind of prophecy that he's encouraging, strengthening, encouraging, comforting, comes through a passage of Scripture shared by another person. Some of you do this all the time, and you should do it all the time. Friends, family, etc. Sometimes it comes from an encouragement or challenge, a word from a respected person who's reflecting something grounded in Scripture. Right? It may not be an actual Scripture verse. I was in Dallas a month ago for a funeral. But while I was there, I tried to do a few things. One of them was I hung out for probably two hours with um, a, a mentor friend of mine. He spoke here once uh, about five years ago. But a guy who's been a mentor and a friend to, m- to me. And, and we just spoke about a number of things. Just hung out and had a you know, cup of coffee kind of thing. And after I left, um, I was not only grateful for the time, but I was reminded 
right, of one conversation, a prophetic conversation I had with him almost 18 years before. Uh, when I was, uh, I was on staff at this church, he had come as the new pastor. The other pastor retired, the one I worked for under for a handful of years. And, and he, was, he was doing his thing for a month or so. I was just a staff member. And we hadn't talked yet. I was already interviewing to come to this church. But I, was not, I, wasn't call, I, wasn't, I didn't have a job offer. But I was interviewing. He knew that, but you know, it took a month for us to finally get together. And he, he looked at me one day and goes, I know what's going on with you. Let's get together and meet. So that meeting was set up, and I can remember it like it was yesterday because I was so confident I knew how it was going to go. He was new. I was, a, I think, a, I think a, a, a staff member in good standing. I think I was doing good work. And I figured, I had this played out in my head. He's going to say to me, Rob, listen, I know you got this job opportunity. If you want to do it, do it. But I'm ready to take the hill. I'm excited about what the next few years are going to bring. I hear good things about you. I'd love to have you do this with me. I thought that's what he was going to say. I was ready to hear him say that. And had he said those words... I'm confident I would have stayed. That's not what he said. Instead, he said, listen, I appreciate um, you've heard good things about you, but I really think you're going to make a bigger impact if you go. He said in so many words, you know, um, you need to be true uh, to the, you, you need to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And those were not the words I thought I was going to hear but they were the words that I needed to hear. And that one single conversation, it probably only lasted 15 minutes, changed the course of my life, okay? That's what we're talking about. I, 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 I would like that all of you would prophesy, that you would strengthen, encourage, and comfort other people. This is the work of the ministry. One of the greatest gifts that all of us have at some level, if you read this passage carefully, is the ability to share the word of God with people both Christians and non, okay? The church eventually grew up. I'm talking about the New Testament church. It eventually got pastors. It eventually got a New Testament. It didn't have it when, when all these people were alive. They all died before there was a New Testament. I'm talking about the recipients of this letter. They eventually got pastors. They eventually got a New Testament to add to the Old Testament. They eventually started to have worship gatherings that are more organized the way this one is. But the responsibility of knowing and sharing the word of God falls on all of us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to a bunch of pastors. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Listen, the priesthood that used to be a bunch of individuals that were members of the, of the, of the, of the tribe of, of Levi, they had a special status, wore special clothes, and it was a, they were from a special family. Those people that executed... Let's call them the clergy class. That's gone away. Every single person that's a Christian is a priest. And you are, you are a mediator of the word of God to other people who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Okay, all uh, prophecy is everyone's gift. Second, the gathering we've been talking about is a place where all people can meet God. Now, I don't have a lot of time. Listen very carefully to these words. Uh, that Paul, I'm going to dive in the middle of this paragraph. The gathering is a place where all people, when you hear all people, think Christian and non-Christian, believers and unbelievers. All people can meet God. Verse 18. I thank God, okay? I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. And he's talking about this kind of tongues that I just mentioned as a prayer language that needs an interpreter. Paul's saying, listen, 
If you think I'm throwing this over, if I'm saying this is illegitimate, that's not what I'm saying. I'm chastising you or, or correcting you for an inappropriate, self-serving kind of way of using this gift. But I'm, I, I'm validating the gift. I thank God. He wants you to know I do it. I, in fact, I do it more than anyone in this church does. But in the church, in the gathering, because that's really our subject, not what you do at home, I would rather speak five intelligible words, a little sarcasm there, five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because the ultimate purpose of the gift is to minister to other people, is to share the gospel, to encourage and strengthen and comfort, not to draw attention to yourself. In the law, the Bible, it is written, quote, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, shows you not a lot has changed in thousands of years. There's churches for Christians, but non-Christians come all the time. Or, or, or unbelievers come all the time. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? Because they're seeing these people, let's say, speak in this um, angelic language of a kind, and they say, what in the world is that? No one's telling me what it means. Won't they say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, sharing the word of God, really, they are convicted of sin, are brought under judgment by all, and the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, I don't sure that, I'm sure that doesn't happen on demand, but he's saying, listen, this is what could happen when prophecy happens. This is what could happen when the word of God happens. So, oh my goodness, this ought to be a priority in this church or really in any church. Now, in a quick read, it seems like if you, if you were following even the words I was reading, that he's contradicting himself because he says, tongues are a sign for unbelievers, verse 22, and then the next verse he says, however, when unbelievers come and hear it, they think the church is nuts and they leave. So how is tongues a sign for unbelievers? Well, it goes back to the quotation, listen very carefully, from Isaiah chapter 28 that's set aside in your text in the 21st verse. He's going back 800 years into the history of Israel to make a point with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners. The context of that is the Assyrian invaders who are coming to cart off Israel, who are disobedient. I will speak to this people, the Jewish people, but even then they will not listen to me. He's being ironic. He's being clever. He's saying, listen, I, I sent my prophets to Israel, just like God sends his prophets, I'm a prophet in a manner of speaking today, to, to my people. I sent them all the time. Isaiah, uh, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, right on down. I sent my prophets. And they didn't speak in a foreign language. They spoke in the language of, of the people they were standing in front of, or the Jewish people. And they said, God loves you. Go this way. Go that way. Serve the Lord. Worship him in this way. Do what I've asked you to do. And they said, no, thank you. They said, I'm not interested. And after many, many years, God says, because they did not listen to me, 
I'm going to send them somebody who actually doesn't even speak their language, and they're going to have to listen to them because they're going to put a, a, you know, a hooker in their nose or around their waist, and they're going to cart them off. And so what he's saying here, tongues are a sign for unbelievers, if you follow the logic of this passage, he's saying it's a negative sign. In other words, what's happening in this little old congregation is you're all self-important, doing your thing, speaking in a legitimate gift. But guess what? Your friends are coming in one door and they're walking out the other and saying, the church is crazy. These people are out of their mind. And maybe they never come back and die and go to hell. Okay? So Paul's being ironic. He's trying to make a point. But in, when it comes to prophecy, on the other hand, this last paragraph that I just read, the preaching and teaching of the word. Let me tell you what prophecy should do or can do in your life and in my life according to this passage. As believers, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, maybe today, maybe any old day, maybe when you read the Bible, but certainly in the gatherings, the point of church, by the way. And what happens is, we, the Spirit of God points out a sin in my, in my life, in your life, or highlights the teachings of grace. I'm either out of step in an area of my life and I need conviction. John 16, the Spirit has come to convict me of sin, of righteousness and judgment to come, open my eyes. Or it comes to help correct my stinky thinking that God doesn't love me, that I've done too much wrong, that God wants to judge me, and it's going to correct my thinking about the grace of God. In either case, the Spirit of God comes in and we recognize that God is present in his word and we turn away from our self-interest or our self-condemnation and we place God back at the center of our lives. That's the point of worship, okay? In the worship of God, this is what he's saying, one is not straining to be understood. One realizes that they have been understood by God at the deepest possible level. And what he's saying is what happens or can happen to you as a Christian, even in a worship service like this one, it can also happen with unbelievers. People who don't have a background, who don't know the Bible in any meaningful way. He's saying even what happens to you can happen to me. But if an inquirer comes in and people are prophesying, they are convicted of sin, they are brought under the judgment by all, and the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. Okay, what does that mean? I think it means this. They realize, maybe this happened to you at some time in your life when you became a Christian, that what worshipers around them are finding in God, you know, I don't know what this place sounds strange and the music's strange and people raise their hand. What's going on? What people are finding in God is what their heart has been searching for all along, but in the wrong places. Okay? That's what they discover. The secrets of their hearts have been laid bare. And it may mean that worship shows them how their heart works. Okay? That's what he's trying to say. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, and what results? So they will fall down in a manner of speaking and worship God, exclaiming. I love this. Not, I'm saved, you know, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, but God is really among you. 
See, this is the purpose of the worship service, right? And this is a, this is a challenge to every one of us in here. Most of us here are, not all of us, but, you know, are church-going people. Do you think that's what a worship service is? Did you, do you come to the gathering knowing that the Spirit of God is here? That God, who cares if the preacher's all that good? We hope they're not bad. But the point is, the point is, is that is God is present in his word, whether it's heard, uh, uh, spoken, or sung. He's present in his word. Are you, is your heart ready for it? Are you open for it? Because God wants to lay the secrets of your hearts bare too. And he wants to get in there. And bring about, yes, he might point a finger at something where you're out of line with the will of God, an area, but he also wants to point a finger at your stinky thinking that God couldn't love you, he doesn't love you, and he wants to touch areas of your life that you've, you've, you've said, there's no point. Say, this is the love of God, this is the gospel, this is the living God coming into your life, this is laying your heart bare. But it happens both to Christians and to non-Christians. God can do what you and I could never do. Okay? What you and I could never do. Two things at least this tells me, okay, about the worship service and the gathering. Number one, we don't need to water down anything, right? You know what I'm trying to say? In other words, what does this passage say? Preach the word of God in season, out of season, you know, with great conviction and just prophesy, encourage, challenge, because the word of God is what changes people and God can do what you and I could never do. He can cut through the ignorance. He can cut through the lack of experience. He can, if, if some, only God knows if someone has ears to hear and they're open, he will cut, he'll do his business. And he can take someone who is an unbeliever or an inquirer, someone who doesn't know the Bible from the phone book, but they can come in here and God can get right to their heart. Not because of the eloquence of the speaker, not because of the fanciness or the greatness of the music, but because the, God is present in his word. Okay, so we can do that. But it also says that we ought to be a church that does a good job and winsomely as best they can to bring people here. Inquirer is not my word. It's, it's a translated word here. But in other words, people in your life, right? They don't need to know everything. They don't, they, maybe the music seems weird. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, it drives me nuts sometimes as pastors. Who's speaking today? And are you talking about money? And are you going to talk about sex? I'm not going to bring my friend. Get over it, would you please? Let God be God. Okay? You know, it's like, come on, people. You know. So, prophecy is everybody's gift. The gathering is a place where all people can meet God. Finally, here's the application. How is God speaking to you Today, is he speaking to you today? Does he speak to you regularly in a worship service at all? Okay. Now for Christians, I'll do it real quick. I'm going to just ask you some questions. We'll pray. How could God speak to me today? I'm a Christian. Many of you are Christians. Well, I might be out of step in some area of God's will in my life. If I am, it's a very simple, I need to confess it. Not to me, not to your neighbor, but to God. Right? You need to confess it to God. Uh, uh, some area where you some uh, where you're out of step with God's will for your life, you already know what it is. Quit walking around with it. Quit moving it from one part of your heart to another and confess it. That's what worship is for. Or or maybe this is more important for some of us. We're out of step with the love of God that's at the heart of the gospel. We still don't know how to drink the gospel. We're still walking around trying to, to earn our favor with God and earn his love even as Christians. We need to surrender our self-judgment, get out of our own way, 
and ask the Spirit to enlighten our mind to strike our heart with God's love. That's what it means to be a Christian. And you don't get that once. You need to get it every day. It's like drinking water. All right? So maybe that's what you need to do as a Christian. Give you a, we're going to pray. Where do you need to hear God speaking to you today? Do you need to confess a sin? He wants to lay your heart bare and say, listen, this is what's going on. You know it. I know it. I love you. Now just confess it and let's move on. Right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and, for, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bingo. This is the gospel. Are you using it? But for others of you who are straining to earn God's love, oh my goodness, open your eyes, open your heart. God, open your word and show me wonderful things out of your law. Help me to understand that he, he who, had no, who knew no sin became sin, Jesus, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He died for you. No one, no one earns their way in. It's a gift. Open it up and let God heal your heart, Christian. Let him love you all the way to the bottom. But for non-Christians, let me say this. If you're an unbeliever, I used his words, or an inquirer, right? You need to worship God. How do you worship God? Simply bowing down before him and exclaiming, number one, hmm, God really is here. Not so much in this guy or in these men and ladies, but God is in here in the presence of his word. And I'm hearing his word right now, and it's cutting through all the excuses, all of the guilt, all of the ignorance. He's cutting right through and saying, I died for you. Do you want my forgiveness? I love you. I know you better than you know yourselves. Just humble your heart. Allow me to come in and be your Lord and Savior. I'm here. Amen? All right, so let's, uh, let's pray together. Every head bow, every eye closed. We're going to pray and be done. First, for Christians, let me just say this. I'm going to spend a lot of time. If you feel you're out of step with God's will in some area in your life, you want to take a minute to confess it, or you want to surrender your self-judgment, allow God full access to your heart. If that's your prayer, if you're going to, apply that prayer just raise your hand right where you sit right now i want to see it i can pray for you thank you across the auditorium if you're a non-christian okay you'd say you know uh, uh, rob uh, uh, pastor i i've heard sermons before these are not all new ideas to me but i've never seen i've never experienced I'm, i'm sensing the spirit of god is laying my heart bare today he's helping me see something about my own sin or my own um, judgment, my own sense of God that I, that I want to bring forward. I want to experience His grace. I want to experience His forgiveness. I want God to be among me in the person of Jesus. He, you know, to as many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons and daughters of God. I just want to receive God's grace and forgiveness for the very first time. If you want to do that, all you need to do is ask for it not my words, Romans 10, 9. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, matter of saying how to pray, and we believe in our, wait for it, hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. All you need to do is ask for it. You can do it in your own words, something like this. God and Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Yes, the world, but for me for all of my sins, past, present, and even future. 
and I, I'm grateful for this revelation. I'm grateful for this understanding. Holy Spirit, thank you for showing me my need and the great um, provision of Christ for me. And I'm opening my life. I'm putting down my good works or my attempts to impress you. And I'm opening my life and saying, thank you. I, I'm so, I receive the gift of forgiveness. I receive your gift of love. I want to become in faith, in Christ, your son, your daughter today. Thank you. I receive this today. If that's your prayer, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I want to pray for you as I close. Just slip up your hand in this auditorium. If you prayed that prayer with me just now, thank you. Just slip up your hand up and down. Thank you. Thank you. Let us pray. God and Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Lord, I'm so grateful uh, to be the recipient not only of your grace and your forgiveness at one moment in time many years ago, but for a steady stream of love and grace as I understand what it means to continually um, not be saved again, but to receive the forgiveness of my daily sins, to confess them and to know your, your sweetness, your fellowship, your grace deeper and deeper in my life and to have people in my life in addition to the word of God who can, who can speak prophetic words to me. Thank you for those men and women who have changed my life and help us to be those kinds of people and be a kind of church, Lord, that's continually to reach people, to be open to people not to commandeer, manufacture, manipulate, make things happen, but simply be faithful and, and get out of our own way to bring forth the beautiful word of God, the precious words of God that cuts to the heart. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be that kind of church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.